blessed. This is our fifth Sunday, and on our fifth Sunday, we take that Lord's Day to remind ourselves of why we call a Sunday a Lord's Day at all. To remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. When I first got here, I've never been a part of a group that's taken a whole Sunday and done just a service focused on the Lord's Supper. And I wanted, I just kind of asked the question to myself, why? Why do we do that? Not because I didn't want to do it, but just because I wanted to know what was the decision-making behind choosing to do this on our fifth Sunday. And I don't remember who said it now, so if it's you, sorry that I forgot. But someone told me, I think any Sunday that we just really sit and focus on the grave sacrifice that Jesus made, we better understand the love behind the sacrifice. And that's why we do this. That's why we're going to take this session and we're going to talk about some awful, heavy, painful things. We're going to talk about things that are uncomfortable. We're going to talk about things that just hurt to hear. And we're not doing it to be morbid. We're doing it Because the better we understand the sacrifice that Jesus made, the better we'll understand the love behind the sacrifice. The better we'll understand our purpose as Christians. The better we'll understand why today is the Lord's day. And that's what we're trying to do today. I think when we think about the cross, a lot of times we think about the pain behind the cross. We think about the nails that went into his hands and his feet. We think about the lashing that he went through. We think about all of this awful pain. And that's absolutely valid. There is great merit to thinking about the pain that Jesus endured for us, both physically and mentally and emotionally. But if you want to turn to Hebrews 12 there's maybe a different perspective on the sacrifice of Jesus than what we often think about. Hebrews 12. As you well know, Hebrews 11 is about faith. And it's not just about faith as a nebulous concept, but as Jacob talked about last week, Hebrews 11 is about the idea of faith being what helps us endure in this life. That faith is at the core being willing to endure trials and being willing to endure whatever this world throws at us for that eternal perspective that we talked about this morning. And Hebrews 11 gives you all sorts of examples of people who are willing to endure great things for their faith. And as we get into Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews continues this same thought of enduring for the sake of a faith in God's promises, but he uses a very interesting example. Hebrews 12 tells us about the endurance that Jesus showed. And so I just want to read the first two verses and give you the picture of what the author of Hebrews says that Jesus endured for us. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When the author of Hebrews looks at the story of Jesus, when he looks at the cross, he chooses to focus on the fact that Jesus endured shame for us. And maybe I don't think about that enough. And so this morning, we're going to look at the shame that Jesus endured, what that meant, what was so shameful about the cross, why did Jesus despise it, and ultimately, why was he willing to endure that shame on our behalf? Because when the author of Hebrews looks at the story of Jesus, he sees the main opponent as this shame. He sees the main thing that would be a deterrent for Jesus in the story of the cross being the fact that he did not want to endure that shame. That that shame was a great opponent against him. He despised it, both in meaning that he hated that he had to go through that shame, but despised also in the way that he was willing to do it, and it was as though it was nothing for him because of his great love. So we're going to explore some today, the shame of the cross, and see why Jesus was willing to endure it for us. Before we get into that, I want to just give a little bit of background because I don't want you to think that when we're talking about shame today, we're just talking about just a little bit of embarrassment, just a little bit of blushing on the cheeks or anything like that. The culture that Jesus lived in, the culture that was around him when he was on this earth was an honor and shame-based culture. And essentially what that means is, whereas now today if you kind of ask people what their main goals are in life, it kind of varies a little bit. Some people want to get really rich. Some people want to be very successful. Some people want to build a legacy, whatever that means. There's all these sorts of different goals that maybe people have. In Jesus' day, if you ask someone what your goal was, it was almost 100% of the time going to be to bring honor to myself, to bring honor to my family, to bring honor to my city, to bring honor to my people. That was what the entire world was built around. This idea of seeking honor above all else bringing honor upon yourself and your family. And to, to be an honorable, honorable person and to bring that honor on yourself, we're talking about being the kind of person that builds a good reputation, being the kind of person that elevates themselves to be something that other people look at and say, I want to be like that. To 
to elevate yourself to where everyone around you can recognize you and say, that person is great. That's the ultimate goal of the world that Jesus was born into. The opposite of that, being putting yourself on a pedestal, is shame. To lower yourself. This is why the message of Jesus is so radical for the world that he's in. One of the many reasons is that whereas everyone around Jesus would be searching forward to lifting themselves up, to being great by the world's eyes, this is the problem with the Pharisees, right? They serve not just to serve, but they serve because they want you to know that I served. So everyone can see, look at that guy. Look at how righteous he is. And Jesus says, that's not my mission. My mission is to be under everyone else. My mission is to be a servant, to be humble, not to be the one that everyone looks at and says, that man is great by worldly standards. And so the message today is we're going to look at Jesus the Son of God, Jesus, God Himself, Jesus, the one who will be the Lord of all things, being willing to endure shame, being willing to be put lower than everyone else, being willing to be called all sorts of terrible things, and bringing that shame upon Himself, being the opposite of what anyone would want, and doing it for us. When Hebrews talks about Jesus despising the shame, this isn't the idea of Jesus didn't want to get embarrassed. This is the idea of Jesus was put through the exact opposite of what anyone around him would want to be put through. Jesus was treated as the lowliest of low. And that's what Jesus went through. I want to take some time to just talk through sort of the end of the gospel story, sort of rapid fire. I'll put some verses up on the screen. We won't have time to read them all, but if you're the kind of person that takes notes, you can write them down and sort of go back through them as you have chance. But I want to just kind of look at the entire crucifixion story, but with a focus on this shame that Jesus endured, with the focus on the fact that he was seen by the world around him with no worth at all. And the first shameful aspect of the cross that I want to talk some about is the fact that Jesus was betrayed. Luke 22, verses 3 through 6, tells us the story about Judas. And Judas was one of the 12 disciples. Judas was one of Jesus' closest friends on this earth. And yet, he was the one that chose to deliver Jesus over to the Jewish leaders. Later in that same chapter, Jesus at the very Lord's Supper that we honor today, in Luke twenty-two twenty-one, 21, Jesus laments that he is sharing this intimate Passover meal, this last supper he has on this earth. He laments that he is sharing that meal with one who would later betray him. That hurts Jesus. The idea that one of his closest friends 
one of the people who had been with him through all of his ministry, who had seen the highs and lows that they had all endured together, that Judas would choose to betray him. But of course, it's not just Judas. Matthew 26, verse 56, simply tells us, then all the disciples left him and fled. All the disciples left him and fled. Like Jesus said, the shepherd was struck and the sheep scattered. In his last moments as a mortal on this earth, as he was arrested, as he went through his trial, as he went through the terrible death that he had to go through, he was left there with almost no one. One of his greatest friends on earth, Peter, denies him three times to the point of swearing and cursing, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Of all the great crowds that followed Jesus, who saw what he did, of all of the disciples who endured great things with him, at the end of his life as a mortal, Luke tells us that Jesus was left just with his mother and a few acquaintances that had followed him. That was it. The disciples who did watch, watched from far away, He was abandoned and betrayed. One of the greatest shames that someone could ever endure is being betrayed. Think about this from the earthly perspective. You've heard of Jesus, but you don't know the end of the story yet. You've heard of Jesus. Supposedly, he's a great king. Supposedly, he's a prophet. He's a teacher. Supposedly, he can work great miracles. Some people are even saying this guy is going to be the Messiah. And if you're one of the people in the crowd around the time of the crucifixion, you're like, okay, I've heard this guy is supposed to be this great leader, this great king. Where are his followers now? Where are the people that he's supposed to be leading? They're nowhere to be found. What kind of king doesn't even have any subjects? What kind of king is overthrown by one of his greatest friends? What kind of king is denied by one of his greatest friends? What kind of king is abandoned by everyone he knows? From an earthly perspective, Jesus being abandoned so harshly by the disciples would have been evidence that this Jesus guy couldn't have been the great king that he was proclaimed to be. And yet Jesus was willing to endure that pain, that of betrayal for us. But that's just the beginning Think of the way that he was treated during his trial. Jesus was lied about. And I don't, I don't know about you, but in my experience, the most damaging and the most painful 
thing you can go through on this earth is being lied about. One of the most gut-wrenching feelings that you can have is when someone, especially someone close to you, chooses to lie about you and to tell others falsehoods about you. That has an impact. Jesus didn't endure sort of the little, uh, the, the kind of gossipy lies that maybe you, we had to go through in like middle school and high school. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus, the lies they told about him were that he blasphemed and that he tried to set himself up to overthrow the kingdom. And if you're thinking about the two most impactful, the two most shameful lies that someone could tell about you, to a Jew, it's that you blasphemed. That's the worst of the worst. And to a Gentile, to a Roman, the worst thing that you could possibly do is treason. He was accused of both. Neither were true. He was accused of both. And yet, we know that Jesus endured it, not arguing, but he endured, endured it silently and willingly. Jesus was falsely labeled as a criminal. He was falsely labeled as one who hated God and tried to rise up against him. And Jesus endured that for us. And if that wasn't bad enough, I put on the screen that he was mocked and abused. And I put that just because I don't think words that we have any way of possibly conveying what Jesus went through. Mocked and abused doesn't sound near big enough for what Jesus went through. I put on the screen Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31. I want to read that together. I know... There's, chances, there's a large chance that every single one of you has read these verses at some point. I want you to really focus in on these. Because I think when you know the end of the story of Jesus, and sometimes we get to the part where we just rush to, but then he came back, and now he's in heaven and he's reigning, sometimes we forget about the impact of what he actually went through. I want you to really listen to these words. Try to hear them as if it's the first time you've ever heard them. Matthew 27, starting in verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. They took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they finished mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. One of the final things that Jesus had to endure before he was sent to the cross was being beaten, was being mocked, was being spit on, which I think is about the most disrespectful thing you could do to another human. And yet, 
Jesus endured it all silently and willingly for us. It's painful to read. It's painful to think about. God himself, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, came to this earth, and instead of being honored, instead of being worshipped, he was spit on. Instead of being honored and being worshipped, he was beaten. He was called a blasphemer. He was condemned to death. And he did that willingly for us because of his love. And of course, you can't talk about the shame uh, that Jesus endured without talking about the cross itself. Even before Jesus was put on the cross, he was paraded across town having to hold the very object that they were about to nail him to. And while we're not given many details, we know from other non-biblical sources that as you're carrying your cross through town, people are yelling things at you, they're throwing things at you, they're making fun of you. It becomes a whole spectacle And if that's not bad enough, when they actually put Jesus on the cross, there's two criminals on either side of him, and they're both making fun of him. They're telling him, why don't you go on and save yourself? Jesus, despite being the only sinless one there, was the one who was treated as if he was the worst criminal. Jesus, despite being the only innocent one there, was the one who was treated as subhuman. And that's before we even get into talking about the cross itself. The cross itself is, on its own, a terrible, shameful thing. I know, again, like when we normally talk about the cross, we talk about the physical agony of it. But I think sometimes we forget that the cross was a symbol of the worst thing that you could be put through on this earth. The Bible says multiple times the Jews couldn't condemn anyone to be crucified. It was so bad, so terrible, against their law to even condemn someone to be crucified. The Romans wouldn't dare to crucify a Roman citizen because... They didn't want to bring the shame of the cross on the Roman people. They reserved that for people that were some some other group. And yet, Jesus chose to endure the worst shame that the world could offer. The worst shame that anyone in that world could possibly think of. I want to read Galatians 3 with you. If you want to turn there, it's Galatians 3, starting in verse 10. Up to this point in the book of Galatians, Paul is showing how the covenant of Jesus is perfect and so much more complete in every way than the old law. And as he gets to this section, Paul's making some points about how the ble- about the blessings and the curses 
of the covenant of Moses. And here's what he says, starting in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Here Paul draws on the idea of the curses of the law. He says that no one can live under the old law without incurring a curse on themselves. That the law was so heavy that no one who ever lived, lived perfectly pure under it. No one lived a perfectly honorable life by the world's standards. And notice what he says. To an extent, there is a certain way in which Jesus, even by the law standards, didn't live a perfectly honorable life. Not that he in any way sinned or that he was imperfect in any way, but that by his death, by being hung on a cross, he incurred a curse of the law. Deuteronomy 21-23 places a curse on all of those who are killed by being hung on a tree. To say that Jesus' death was so bad He was made such a spectacle for being hung for all to see. He suffered the great curse and great shame under the law to say, Paul's saying, look at what Jesus was willing to do for us. That we might be freed from the crushing weight of sin, that we might be freed from the weight of the law. Jesus was willing to die in the most shameful way possible. Jesus was willing to endure even a curse of the law so that we may be freed from all such curses. So that we can receive life and blessings through the Spirit of God Himself through the shameful death of Jesus. Jesus was willing to endure the shame of the cross, which he so despised, but he endured it as if it was nothing because of his love for us. I say all this to say I need to think about this part of Jesus' sacrifice more. I say all this to say that Jesus, the perfect son, God himself, humbly came down and was shamed and rejected by his own people. He endured the shame of the cross. He was betrayed by the ones who loved him so much that he loved so much. He was spit on, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was lied about, he was called a blasphemer, and he was given a criminal's cursed death. And he did it even though he despised that shame because his love for us outweighed the shame.
We read this section of verses a lot. You probably have it memorized by now. But I think that it really does depict this part of Jesus' life and death very well. Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. He was despised. He was rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus, the creator, the one who owed us nothing, gave us everything. Jesus endured everything for us because he loves us and because he wants us to be saved through his mercy and through his love. So he endured. He endured everything. He was willing to go through the shame and the awful torture. He was willing to be treated as a criminal, as a blasphemer, really worse than any human should ever be treated. He was treated subhuman. And he despised that. He despised the shame that he incurred. We know, like we sang about earlier, Jesus wished there was another way. The cup of agony was heavy. And yet, he was willing to go through all of it because he loves you. The reason we're thinking about the shame of the cross that Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 brings us back to is that Jesus, the Son of God, went through what no one else has ever gone through. Not because he desired to bring shame on himself, but because he desired to save you more than he desired to save himself. That he desired to elevate you more than he desired to elevate himself. He desired to love you more than he desired to love himself. Jesus endured great suffering and great shame on the cross because he loves you. That's why the Lord's Day is so special. That's why this sacrifice means so much. Because your God loves you so greatly that he endured the worst man could think of. Willingly, silently, because he wants you to have a relationship with him. That's the message of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And we're going to take some extra time now to focus on the Lord's Supper. Just as Hebrews 12 starts with the idea of Jesus enduring 
he carries on and he talks about us. Starting back in verse 1 again, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that he talked about in the previous chapter, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. There is a sense in which we are enduring in the same way that Jesus endured. There is a sense in which we are called to endure in the same way that Jesus endured, in the same way that Moses endured, in the same way that any of the people in Hebrews 11 endured, in the sense that God's people do have to endure trials. They do have to endure pressures. They do have to endure temptations in this life. And there's a sense in which we also have to deal with the shame of the cross. If you think about it, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 through 25, there Paul talks about the idea of the cross. And he said, Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Many will think that it is completely ridiculous that your God died. And not only that your God died, but that your God died in a shameful, terrible, horrible way. Paul says to the world, that's foolishness. That your God endured shame. And yet, as Paul says, and as the author of Hebrews urges us, that is a shame we must be willing to endure. A shame that actually hides the wisdom of God inside of it. The gospel story may look like foolishness to the world. It may look shameful to the world. But the Bible tells us that in that story, there is power, there is life, there is salvation, there is peace, there is wisdom, and ultimately, there is a relationship with God. And the invitation for today is, will you endure? Will you endure the shame and the pressures and the temptations of the world? Will you look to Jesus' example and be willing to endure for the glory ahead? Be willing to endure for a faith in Him. Be willing to endure so that we may live life with Him eternally. For those of you who aren't Christians, I plead with you, hear the story of Jesus, who though He owed you nothing, gave you everything. He sacrificed himself, he endured shame, and he did it because he wants you to be saved. He wants you to enter into a relationship with him. You can do that through repentance and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. For those of us who are Christians, the urge is to endure. There will be things this world will throw at you. 
There will be shames. There will be pressures. There will be temptations. Jesus faced them. All of the great cloud of witnesses ahead of us faced them. The question is, will we endure and keep running the race ahead of us? Look to Jesus. Rely on him as your refuge. And if you're struggling, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you and pray for you. Whatever your need, feel free to come to the front as we stand and as we sing.